Hello and welcome to episode number 87 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and joining me as always is Tony Pauline as we move on from a week three that featured mostly blowouts in the top 15 to week four that features three matchups between teams ranked within the top 17. What a difference a week makes, huh, Tony? Sure does, but you know, even though uh, none of the games last weekend had any uh, impact on the national rankings. There were still a lot of good games to watch. There were still a lot of fun games that went deep into the fourth quarter and, and were last minute, uh, you know, last, last minute cliffhanger. So not too many national prominent games or games that were going to impact the, uh, the top 10 last week, but there were some fun games to watch. Absolutely. And, and we'll discuss a few of those in just a few moments here. We do have some interesting takeaways from a couple of those games. But before we do, here's a quick word from our pals over at MyBookie. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and of course, watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's really nothing else like football, Tony, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. Absolutely, Chris. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. My bookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. And don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try Parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season, as well as the college season, is the best time of year to throw down a wager. So join now at MyBookie, and they will double your first deposit. Use promo code DRAFT to activate the offer. That's promo code DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T, and visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, and most important of all, you get paid. And now for our first look back at Week 3, we'll head to Michigan State a game that should have went to overtime, but unfortunately a 12-men-on-the-field penalty nullified the Spartans' game-tying field goal. They missed the follow-up and ended up losing to Arizona State 10-7. Real low-scoring game. And what we wanted to see from this one was Eno Benjamin, the running back for the Sun Devils, versus that vaunted run defense of Michigan State. Now, Arizona State only ran Benjamin 11 times for the entire game. He had 38 yards on the ground. Even quarterback Jaden Daniels had more carries than Eno Benjamin who had two catches for 11 yards as a receiver, didn't even touch the ball until midway through the second quarter, was stopped in the backfield a few times with no real chance to make anything happen, did have one nice 16-yard run, put multiple cuts together, bounced off defenders, which is kind of his MO as a runner. But overall, they didn't really involve him in the game plan too much, which you can understand based on the matchup, but they also only scored 10 points. So it could go both ways there as to whether that was the right move. But on the other side of things, Michigan State's Joe Bocci, a linebacker we've discussed several times, had 12 tackles, really helped keep Benjamin in check as a receiver as well. Tony, what stood out to you in this matchup? Well, there were two things, and, and one of them was I, I posted during the game Saturday night is, you know what, give Herm Edwards a lot of credit because his team comes prepared to play. He's able to adjust. Uh, as I said uh, in a question and answer segment at the Pro Football Network, I remember watching the game when Arizona went to L.A. to play USC last year, and they just, they, they just come out and they physically beat down opponents, and they physically went step for step with Michigan State, who was a tough physical team. From what I saw on the field, you know, even though they lost the game, 
I was very impressed with Michigan State's defensive uh, front seven. You mentioned Bocce, Antoine Simmons, nine tackles overall, one and a half tackles for loss. I have him rated as a six-round pick. Raekwon Williams, who's graded as a late fourth rounder, fifth rounder by scouts, even though he's a junior, three tackles, one sack. Kenny Wilkes, the defensive end, who there is a wide variety of opinion on him. Some scouts have him as a mid-third rounder. Others have him as a six-rounder. I'm not a big believer in him. I think he's a late-rounder free agent. But still, he comes to play every week. Seven tackles, including two tackles for loss. I mean, that Michigan State defensive front seven, you know, really is what kept them in the game when their offense really could not get anything going, could not get uh, any rhythm going. Uh, and, and again, it, it's what you expect from a, a Dan Antonio coached defense. Absolutely. And you mentioned Willikis. He made a couple big plays in the games. Maybe not a big NFL prospect, but the fact that he's maybe the third or fourth best prospect along that defensive line says a lot about the strength of that defense. Going back to the offense for the Sun Devils, I want to mention wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. Five catches, 64 yards. Most of those were short grabs. Again, that was the type of game they were playing. But he had a 40-yarder late on a nice double move, accelerated out of his plant, has the speed to get behind the defense, tracks the ball well, is elusive with the ball in his hands. I mean, he's an intriguing guy for the next level. I know we talked about him in our Pac-12 preview, but he's had a good start to the season, Tony. How do you feel about Ayuk compared to how you did three weeks ago? Yeah, and, you know, like you said, he came up big in that final drive when Arizona State put the ball in the end zone. You, you mentioned that 40-yarder, three and a half minutes left, got the ball down to the Michigan State 25-yard uh, line. Next play, had a two-yard reception. He's not a great athlete. He's not a great burner. He's not a guy that's going to get great downfield separation, but he's a consistent receiver. As you mentioned, runs good routes, finds a soft spot in the seam, catches the ball very well. Only a junior. I think he's more of a last-day pick. But I absolutely think that he has a place at the next level as a fourth or fifth receiver, return specialist. And we got to mention a, a receiver who we spoke about when we did our Big Ten preview from Michigan State, Darrell Stewart Jr. Uh, of the Spartans. Nine receptions for 121 yards. A lot of scouts grade this guy as a priority free agent. I have him as a six-rounder. He's a lot like Ayuk in the sense that he's not, he doesn't have great vertical speed. You know, He's not going to time all that well in the 40, but he's a good route runner. He knows how to separate. He finds the soft spot in the field, and he's a terrific receiver. And I absolutely see Stewart as the last day pick in April's draft, assuming that he stays healthy, assuming that he continues to produce the way he is, and he's going to be a good uh, fourth or fifth receiver at the next level. You can line him up in the slots. You can put him out in the flanks. You can use him uh, as a return specialist. He's going to be downgraded because he's not going to run that well in the 40, but he's just a real good football player. Yeah, I mean, with the ball in his hands, Stewart is definitely dynamic. He's quick, he's elusive, and very similar as to the, some of the things I was saying about Ayuk, like you mentioned. I mean, yeah, he's not going to be a high pick, doesn't have the great size, may not time that well, but overall, Stewart is also another intriguing guy. There were a lot of fun skill players in this game, despite only 17 total points. You know, it was one of those games that... Even though it was low scoring, it was enjoyable to watch because, especially at the end, it was, it, you, you thought whoever was going to have the ball last was going to win the game in a tight defensive game. And it almost happened that way with Michigan State. I mean, they, they kicked the field goal as a penalty, uh, and, and then they, they missed the second field goal. But it, it was a good game, uh, good game from start to finish. Absolutely. And another good game start to finish that also featured a receiver that we want to highlight on today's show was Florida State traveling to Virginia the Seminoles fell to one and two with a 31-24 loss to the Cavaliers. And what we wanted to watch in this game was Florida State wide receiver Tamori and Terry 
against Virginia cornerback Bryce Hall. Terry had four catches for 78 yards. The first play that FSU ran from scrimmage, 28-yard catch against zone coverage. Hall, a lot of the game was playing well off the line, so we didn't see a lot of one-on-one matchups between him and Terry, or at least fewer than we expected to see. But, Tony, that aside, what did you take away from this highly touted matchup? Was not really impressed with Hall, who's the higher-rated prospect who some people think is a first-round pick. He just doesn't show that natural quickness, that natural explosion. He's a bit slow in his, in his transition. Didn't show great awareness in zone. I expected more from Hall, you know, because Terry's a bigger possession receiver. Uh, just really did, did not do anything to make me believe he's other than what I graded him at the beginning of the year or coming into the season, which is a third round pick, which a lot of scouts have him graded as a third round pick. I was relatively impressed with Charles Snowden, the guy that we spoke about over the summer, four tackles, uh, two pass breakups. You know, this is a guy who's six foot six, 230 pounds. He's a tall, thin guy. You would think that he's just an up the field player at the line type of guy, but he can play in space. I mean, he's a good athlete. He's got excellent movement skills. He's got to get a little bit bigger. He's got to add some bulk to his frame, but really developing into a nice three down linebacker. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Snowden because he's a guy, when you watch him, his length stands out, keeps his eyes up when he's rushing so he can use that length to bat some balls down at the line of scrimmage. That length can also be used as a strength for him in coverage as well. So there's a lot of intrigue with a guy like Snowden. Now, one guy I want to talk about that we discuss in our ACC preview, you are way lower on him than a lot of other people, and he's had a good start to the season. I want to talk about Florida State running back Cam Akers. Now, he had 18 carries for 78 yards, made a nice adjustment on his short touchdown catch late in the game. Now, he's a former high school quarterback. Seems like he's starting to come along a bit at running back in terms of his vision, in terms of doing subtle things, small cuts to change direction, reaction time when it comes to seeing defenders in his face and quickly making a move to get rid of them where some quick thinking is required. Now, you did catch a lot of flack for giving him a UDFA grade entering the season. Has his start to 2019 boosted his grade at all for you? Not really. I mean, you know, three receptions against uh, Virginia. I believe he's got 10 receptions for the whole year. As you said, 78 yards. I mean, and he's got to be the guy at Florida State. Uh, did have 100 yards rushing against Boise State, although their run defense is not that great. I, I mean, I think he's a little bit one-dimensional. As you said, he's developing into the position. And obviously, as he develops in the position, I'll give him a higher grade. But, you know, I mean, five nine and a half, two hundred five, two hundred ten pounds. I don't see anything really special about his game. I think he's more of a one-dimensional guy. I think he's a good college running back. I just don't think he projects all that well to the next level at this point. Now, the last game we'll discuss, and another we hit on as a preview during our last show, was UNLV traveling to Northwestern. Rebels quarterback Armani Rogers did last the whole game in this one, which, as we discussed, wasn't necessarily a given. He was 16 of 26 for 120 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, 14 carries for 57 yards on the ground, lost a fumble. UNLV led late in the first half. Only seven of their first 29 plays were pass plays. And that's the kind of script you need with Rogers under center. Then they fell behind, had to throw a bit more, didn't score at all in the second half. Now, we talked about Rodgers and head coach Tony Sanchez being on the hot seat a little bit before the game. You think that's still the case, Tony? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, UNLV coaches seem to be eternally on the hot seat, except for John Robinson. Uh, they really have had limited success there. Uh, talking about uh, quarterback Armani, Armani Rodgers, like you said, you know, he played relatively well in the first half, kept the Rebels in the game, but just couldn't compete in the second half, could not move the ball. 
he's a good athlete with a big arm, but at this point, he's still, you know, a guy who is a big arm thrower on the college level. He's got to develop into a passer and he needs a ton of work on his game. Now, the linebackers that we were looking at heading into this game, a couple guys we previewed during our Big Ten show from Northwestern, Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher, 13 tackles combined. Fisher is a guy who we discussed, needed some work on his ball skills, had a third quarter interception, got depth in his drop. Red Rogers looked back to find the receiver, really settled into the zone nicely. The pick itself was really easy. The ball was thrown right to him. It's one of those that you almost have to catch, but it's not a bad thing when you see a guy like Fisher who had some questions there make a pick like that on an easy play, had two other pass breakups as well. Is that good news for Fisher, Tony? Well, you know, anytime you make positive plays, it's good news for any player. I still want to see him when he gets into the meat and potatoes of the Big Ten schedule and he starts to be playing against tougher competition. I did speak to some people, you know, in Big Ten countries, league insiders who scout for a living or in the scouting business. They do like Fisher. So some of them do are much higher on Fisher than I am. But again, you know, want to see how he does uh, really once, the, once Northwestern gets into that, uh, that heavy-duty Big Ten schedule. Now, we'll get to our week four previews in just a moment. But before we do, please support the Draft Analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch. Now, looking ahead to week four, we're going to start on Friday night with USC. The Trojans host Utah. Clay Helton, there was a report out today that he could be on the hot seat if the next two games against Utah and Washington go awry or if they get, and the quote was, embarrassed against Utah, which I would assume is like a four or five touchdown loss. JT Daniels' knee injury obviously could catch up to USC. But the matchup here to watch is two guys that Daniels was going to be throwing to coming into the season. And that's wide receivers Tyler Vaughns and Michael Pittman against Utah cornerbacks Julian Blackman and Jalen Johnson. At 6'1", Blackman has the length to try to neutralize Pittman, who's the possession receiver in this offense, compared to Vaughns, who is the faster, quicker guy, who should see a lot of Jalen Johnson. Tony, how do you expect this matchup to shake out? Well, first thing is, there's no doubt about it that Helton's on the hot seat. I mean, and their next three games are Utah, Washington, and then Notre Dame at Notre Dame. So there's a good chance that he does not make it uh, to uh, Halloween as the head coach of, of USC. You know, I was surprised the way they pounded uh, Stanford, but I guess Stanford's, you know, Stanford's not as good as many of us thought it was going to be. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a big game for Helton, who, in my opinion, is playing against the class of the Pac-12. Now, getting back to the matchups, USC receiver Tyler Vaughn's underclassman. I grade him as a fourth rounder. Michael Pittman. Some scouts grade him as a third rounder. Some have him as a uh, fourth rounder. I have him as a fifth rounder. Pittman had a big game against BYU, nine receptions for 95 yards with two TDs. You know, he's a bigger possession guy. He's a lot of, like we've seen from the Allen Lazards and the Hakeem Butlers out of the uh, Big 12, physically beats down opponents, but he's not a fast guy. Doesn't have the quickness to get separation, which Tyler Vaughn does. I think Tyler Vaughn projects well to the next level compared to Pittman because he has a speed advantage. He's got a quickness advantage. He can do more than just physically beat down opponents to come away with the reception. Vaughn's had seven receptions for 65 yards against BYU the week before against Stanford, five catches, 106 yards, and one TDs. Utah is very good throughout the defense. Uh, we talked about Francis Bernard, the outside linebacker who was not graded by scouts coming into the year. I think he's going to be a 
fourth round pick right now, could move into the second day. They've got a lot of terrific players in their secondary. Julian Blackman, who I think is an underrated prospect, can play corner, can play safety, can play nickel. I have him graded as a fifth rounder. He's been a solid player since his sophomore season. I think the position switch last year hurt him, but he's a smart, instinctive guy with decent size and solid speed. Jalen Johnson, the underclassman cornerback, he's the bigger guy. He's the one that will physically beat down opponents to defend the pass. Struggles making plays with his back to the ball. If Jalen Johnson goes up against Mike Pittman, that's going to be a matchup to watch. When he goes up against Tyler Vaughn's, I think Vaughn's has gotten an advantage there because he can separate. And then they have another underclassman by the name of Javelin Guidry, uh, Utah, in that secondary. Someone who they'll use in nickel packages, a smaller guy, but a guy with excellent ball skills and a developing game. So it should be a good matchup in that uh, secondary. I think Utah's going to win out, though. Now, from a team that has an injured quarterback to a team that's been struggling on offense this season, that's 0-2 Vanderbilt. The Commodores are going to host LSU this weekend, and they're going to take aim at a loaded secondary for the Tigers. Now, wide receiver Kalijah Lipscomb is going to be facing off probably against the best cornerback trio in FBS. Christian Fulton is a shutdown corner. Carrie Vincent is a guy with a day-two grade on our board. And Derek Stingley Jr., the true freshman, Looks like the next big thing. Once Fulton moves on, he could be the shutdown guy at LSU. Obviously, Greedy Williams was that guy last year. So this is a program that just keeps churning out big-time cornerback prospects. Separation is going to be really tough to come by for Lipscomb and the other Vandy receivers. Jared Pinckney, the tight end for the Commodores, only has five catches for 72 yards in two games this season. Now he's going to get a matchup against Grant Delpit, who's arguably the best defensive back prospect in the entire 2020 draft class. Overall, this is just an awful matchup for Vanderbilt. Their supposed strength against LSU strength, and guess which teams is way stronger. Yeah, and and these Vandy uh, offensive players, the ones you mentioned, have got to start to get it into gear, or they're going to watch their draft stock drop. I mean, Riley Neal, we were looking forward to him playing at Vanderbilt against SEC competition, came into the season with late-round grades. Right now, he's looking like a free agent, barely completing 50% of his passes, two touchdowns and one interception. You know, uh, the first game against Georgia, you could kind of understand it. The second game against Purdue, just no rhythm, no ability to move the uh, ball down the field. You, you talked about Lipscomb, only 11 receptions in two games. Uh, Jared Pinckney, you talked about. These guys really got to start to get in gear. There's no rhythm. You know, they'll have one good uh, – they had, I believe, one or two good uh, drives that I saw against Purdue, and then that was it. Very spotty. <laughs> and this is going to be a huge matchup because – you talked about the uh, secondary, but uh, when I watched LSU against Texas, they also have some real good pass rushers who project well to the next level. So, you know, that, that secondary is going to feast uh, on balls that are thrown by Riley Neal if they, uh, if they can't protect Riley Neal. Big, important game for Vanderbilt, not just from a standings point of view because they're 0-2. And now they're playing a, uh, another big SEC opponent, but also for, for these uh, offensive prospects who just have not looked good at all this season. Now, another matchup to watch in the passing game is going to be kind of a focus on today's show is Central Florida traveling to Pitt. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, four catches, 63 yards, and one touchdown last week against Stanford. Got the best of hyped cornerback Paulson Adebo a few times in that matchup. Now he faces Dane Jackson, a cornerback who's not quite on Adebo's level as an NFL draft prospect. Davis has a three-inch height advantage, and he also might have better speed than Jackson, despite I know you have some questions about 
what he's going to time and how that's going to affect his draft stock. But similar questions arise when we talk about Dane Jackson. I mean, this is a big play wide receiver against a quarterback who struggles down the field to stay in coverage. The second day prospect against a third day player on paper, that really looks like a mismatch to me. Yeah, especially the way Gabe Davis is playing. I mean, Gabe Davis just continues to improve. We talked about him over the summer. He was my number one rated prospect out of the uh, American Athletic Conference. He has just really stood out this year. Only four catches for 36, uh, 63 yards against the Stanford, but they really didn't need much more from him because the game was, was such a blowout early on. And when the ball went to him, Gabe Davis was beating Adebo left and right. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. Adebo looked like he had his head spinning. Uh, I agree with you about, I think Dane Jackson of Pittsburgh, who's graded as a fourth round prospect by some scouts, does have down the field issues. I think he actually has better ball skills than Adebo. I think he's more adept at making plays with his back to the ball which is where I think Adebo really struggles. And he's not as stiff in his transition, not as stiff in his hips. So this can be a statement game for Dane Jackson because Gabe Davis is going to be the best prospect, best receiver prospect he faces all year. Uh, So if he steps up, I mean, that's something that scouts will take note of because of the fact that Davis is such a talented receiver. He does have a height advantage. uh, And really, this is something that Jackson, I think, can hold his hat on. Yeah, I mean, if Jackson can come out in this game and – hold down Davis or at the very least contain him. I mean, it's going to be huge for him because as I said, on paper, this just does not look like a matchup that Jackson is fit to win. So if he comes out and does that, scouts are really going to take notice. Now we'll go back to the well for our final preview here on the show and head to Arizona state where Eno Benjamin is going to look to bounce back against the Colorado defense that allows almost 200 rushing yards per game, which is 700% more rushing yards than Michigan State allows. They allow less than 25 per game. So the matchup couldn't be better a week after the matchup couldn't be worse. It's a great spot for Benjamin to get back in the 25-touch range. Linebacker Nate Landman is the key for Colorado on defense. Great instincts and discipline. A sure tackler with solid range. He doesn't have blazing lateral speed, but he's a guy who definitely impressed when we were watching the Nebraska-Colorado game. 14 tackles, 9 solo. And you could see that on the field as well as on the stat sheet. He was all over the place. He made plays behind the line of scrimmage, close to the line of scrimmage. So these weren't tackles made 8 to 10 yards down the field after first down runs. He's going to have a big test in coverage against Benjamin and really a chance to boost his stock as a three-down player in the eyes of scouts. You know, I I agree with you, Chris. I I mean, uh, Benjamin's got a a quickness and a speed advantage over Nate Landman. But Landman's one of those inside linebackers, middle linebacker types that, you know, he makes as many plays with his instincts and his toughness as he does with his physical ability. I mean, because he does a great job uh, uh, reading the action and basically knowing what's going to happen before the ball is handed off. One guy that you got to keep an eye on in this game is uh, Colorado's other uh, linebacker, Davion uh, Taylor who's getting a lot of positive talk from scouts uh, out of the uh, Midwest. He's a smaller guy, six foot, one half inch, 222 pounds, runs in the four sixes, better speed, better range than Landman, not a strong, not a stout against the run, but really the type of guy that the Colorado will look to run down Benjamin in pursuit. So I think the combination of Landman and Taylor poses a big challenge for Eno Benjamin as he tries to rebound from what was a pretty poor performance against Michigan State. And that's it for the 87th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms 
and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. As always, head over to profootballnetwork.com where you can now find everything you once found at draftanalyst.com, including Tony's new Saturday Live blog, his standard weekly risers and sliders, and a weekly NFL draft mailbag as well. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. See you next week.